morning. A reading from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 15. But do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will be dissolved with fire, and the earth and everything that is done on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, what sort of persons ought you to be in leading lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set ablaze and dissolved, and the elements will melt with fire. But in accordance with his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth, while righteousness is, a, is at home. Therefore, beloved, while you are waiting for these things, strive to be found by him at peace, without, spl- without spot or blemish, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, again, good morning. Good morning. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Folks, it's after 11. I'm really thankful that you all came today. Um, I'd like to welcome you all in Minnesota to late summer. I, I'm, I'm really serious. I told this story at the 9 o'clock service, but I literally got up yesterday and went to a coffee shop and was working at a coffee shop, and I didn't know that it was supposed to snow yesterday because that apparently is what it gets to in Minnesota. It's like, oh, seven inches, whatever, like Thursday. <laughs> uh, let us begin with a word of prayer this morning. Creator and loving God, grant that... Grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts might be acceptable to you. The one who calls us out to distant places. The one who sends us to places we might not imagine. The one who is a radical voice in the world. And the one who is our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A few years ago, while going about my business of the Christmas season and my angst against capitalism in the United States... I was invited by my Jewish colleague at the Hillel at the University of Minnesota to come to a Hanukkah party in uh, honor of the work that I had done. And I said, okay, I'll come. And at dinner on that, the second night of Hanukkah, in front of about 30 students, I was presented with a gift from my colleague Sarah. I was not expecting a gift, and I certainly didn't understand why I had deserved the gift, but after I received the gift, which is still a part of some of the gifts that I have on my, on my desk, um, I asked her after the, after the Hanukkah, after dinner, why, I was, why she asked me to come and, and receive this gift. And she told me that, in fact, she had been doing this for several years. Each year, she had invited people from across the university who were not part of the Jewish community to come and receive gifts throughout the Hanukkah season, and she gave these gifts to people that were non-Jewish as a way to celebrate and honor the gifts and the, and the, the season of Hanukkah for them. 
This was kind of mind-boggling for me because I was not Jewish and had received a gift from someone who I did not feel that I normally would receive a gift from during this season. And it made me stop and ask myself a question as to whether or not my own Christian dominance um, had forgotten, in many ways, the hospitality and what takes place outside of the Christian tradition. And I began to examine my role as a clergy and how I could shift in terms of this time of the year to offer a gift back to her and offer a gift back to the rest of the world as a Christian minister. And it helped me because, frankly, I struggle with Advent and in Christmas and with Christmas in general. Because this countercultural narrative that drove Christianity to create Advent time in our liturgical calendar as an alternative to Caesar's birthday, which was on December 25th, even though Jesus was clearly born in April or May, and in an environment in the West where we have slowly but surely secularized into a narrative of Santa Claus giving an abundance of gifts, and that we ourselves must be forced to give gifts to one another, because if we don't, we act as though we are Scrooge from a Christmas carol, and completely in the midst of it have lost the whole idea of the story of Christmas. <laughs> and I said, wait a minute, here is someone giving me a gift during Hanukkah when I'm non-Jewish to remind me that there is a bigger landscape to pay attention to. And I think maybe it's time for us as a church to reframe that story. We often hear the story of reclaiming Christian, Christmas. But maybe we might reframe the entire story of this, the holiday season. Because this time, we could eliminate the dominance of our Christian landscape from the culture and replace it with a more holistic representation that there are, in fact, <coughs> pretty much four holidays in December and early January that take place. Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, and Solstice. And thank God for all of them because they have taught me many lessons in the last few years. As a Christian minister, this time of the year is, of course, special, a time in which we once again remember that Jesus came into the world in the form of a human being and laid out a lifetime example of what it means to be a follower. But that perfect example also requires that we examine that there are many others around us who deserve to have just as much space to experience their own holiday in America and in the world. And despite, that many, despite the fact that many of us are seemingly working toward it, I wonder sometimes if we have realized just how dominating in the American landscape we continue to be with Christmas. And you know, it's a good time to do it because it's Advent, a time in which we can light the second Advent candle, and this Sunday, the candle of love, we can experience love itself to consider the idea that radical love in the Christian, in the Christian tradition is also the love that expresses and gives space for other people to have their own traditions and for us to give space and even to become compassionate and understanding and even gain a little bit of knowledge about those other traditions. Now there are hundreds if not thousands of churches who this morning will be focused exclusively on using this message in the lectionary to tell about how we bring about Christianity 
as an empire in the world. Thousands of pastors will preach about how John the Baptist was preparing the way for Christ to convert the world, and that we ourselves should be preparing that every knee shall bow and every voice shall say the name of Jesus. But that's not really the way that Jesus might have actually done it. In fact, if we were having a conversation with Jesus present, he might say, you know, it'd be nice if you came along and, and lived along with me, but it's also something that we need to give space for other people to experience their own beliefs and their own traditions. Are we ready as a church to experience Christmas and Kwanzaa and Hanukkah and Solstice as a community are we ready to see the world around us and to see the abundance of beliefs? Or are we subconsciously still expecting people to focus on our holiday and to hold to a hegemony in this culture that we have settled into that believes that Christmas is the only day that stores are closed? Christmas is the only day that we are focused toward. And Christmas is the only day in our culture that really matters. And you know, when we think about it like that, and we talk about it like that, and we allow our culture to be like that, it all feels to me like this thing we call the golden rule. Treat others like you want to be treated. And those of us that are here, coming from a Christmas tradition, that's how we like to be treated. Christmas is our holiday. But there's this other rule. It's called the platinum rule. Has anybody ever heard of the Platinum Rule? And if you were at the 9 o'clock service, you don't get to touch. <laughs> anybody ever heard of the Platinum Rule? Do you know what the Platinum Rule is? Can you tell us? Right. <laughs> See, it's not trademarkable. The Platinum Rule is not treat others how you like to be treated. It's treat others as they'd like to be treated. And when I was introduced to this a few years ago, it sort of blew my mind away. Some people would like to celebrate Christmas, as many of us would, and would like to focus on our Christian identities. But others would just like to get together for eight nights together with family and have time and appropriation in our society to do it. Others don't want to have Christian tossed at them. Others, next week, will celebrate solstice, and perhaps we could learn a few things from them. And others just want us to know what Kwanzaa is. <laughs> Think about that for a minute if you have Rolodex, if you really know what Kwanzaa is. Maybe our president, with his relentless bringing back Christmas, might learn a few things if he and us as Christians learned how to radically love and see the others in our midst. So what does that mean in our society, to live as John the Baptist does, as a humble servant who actually leads from behind? Now, I think about that in that sometimes what we have in America is a platform as Christians to get the attention of those around us and then to step back and give up power. Because while Pew still says that there are 70% of the United States that identifies as Christian, there are at least 30% others who wish to not have Christianity tossed at them. And in fact, John the Baptist, in his call to be a humble servant, and in Jesus' call to love, ultimately, as the most important thing, to love your neighbor as yourself, 
reminds me of what I, what I learned when I was in Minnesota from those that lived and were surrounded by a man named Paul Wellstone, who is a United States senator who passed away in 2000, when his famous quote was, we all do better when we all do better. Think about that. Could we all, as an American country, an American cultural landscape, could we all do better if we just simply give space for other people to live out their traditions? Could we be better if we, the Christian majority, would lead from behind and offer a radical love to those who are the most marginalized traditions in America by giving up our power and not having to dominate this season? If we step back and recognize our own dominance, we realize that we can prevent ourselves from being that dominant narrative. That's our first step, to step back and to give space in the fabric of our country to allow others to celebrate in their own specific way. And I think that's an opportunity for us, an opportunity this Christmas to share that. We might offer Christmas gifts. We might offer to experience Hanukkah with those that are Jewish in our midst. We might offer to go and experience Kwanzaa. We might actually go and experience a solstice service. We can fall in love with those holidays just as much as we might be in love with our own. It's that great juxtaposition of Christianity, I say, to be proud enough in our own theology to give the space for others. My friend Brian Conkle, the chaplain at Syracuse University, describes it as what he calls roots and reach. It is from our roots as Christians that, we reach, that our reach extends toward an interfaith cooperation and respect and collaboration with others. Our Christianity is either one in which we seek to own the discussion, one in which we hope that every single person converts to our beliefs, or one in which we become respectful of those in our midst who might not have the same belief as us, but love alike, as John Wesley would say. To think that we are right without question and to claim that we are the only rightful claimers of this, the holiday season in America, is simply antithetical to the message of the gospel itself. Secondly, what it, is, what it is this Christmas season for us can also be analyzed from an internal perspective. Perhaps for us to step back and to recognize that sometimes Christmas becomes an overwhelming feeling in which we are self-gratifying ourselves in the gift-giving and that sometimes it is in those gifts that we remind other people of their strife and their anxiety. Millions of people in this country and thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of Christians alone, deal around this holiday with perhaps the most anxiety-ridden, grief-ridden time of the year. Millions of people across the world are struggling to find food, clothing, shelter, to feel existence itself, and us giving toys are not necessarily the first and foremost things that are needed in the world. Voices of the marginalized go unheard, and so often due to the overwhelming weight of our own self-time and self-preservation time during the Christmas season when we wish to surround ourselves with piles of gifts. This weekend, I received an email from a colleague of mine in the Baltimore-Washington conference sending me the statement from the bishop there. Her name is Latrell Easterling, and some of you may know her as a former district superintendent and pastor 
of here in the New England Conference. She, reads the, she says these words to all members of the Baltimore-Washington Conference, and they were so powerful for me that I needed to insert them into this sermon and help us remind ourselves that we have intra-faith work to do just as much we, as we have to do inter-faith work. These words to her congregations and to her clergy. Therefore, beloved, I do not wish you a Merry Christmas this year. Rather, I wish you a Christmas full of wrestling with 65 million people who are displaced and dispossessed of a secure dwelling. I wish you a Christmas full of examining the prevalence of hatred culminating in gun violence. I wish you a Christmas full of pondering why the purchase of another human being is still acceptable transaction. I wish you a Christmas full of weeping over the prison industrial complex that houses over two million persons. I wish you a Christmas full of rejecting the notion that human beings exist on a continuum of acceptability based on man-made categories. I wish you a Christmas full of proclamation against racism, sexism, xenophobia, homophobia, bias, ableism, and every other form of violence against humanity. And I said, that'll preach. We are not meant to be in charge here. We are not meant to have the Christmas that we necessarily have made it out to be. We are here to stand as John the Baptist did, leading from behind, offering a radical love to those who are outside of our tradition and giving space for them to celebrate their own traditions, their own holidays even learning a few things about them and having respect and compassion with them. And internally, we are called to remember that this Christmas, as every Christmas, can sometimes be more, dam can be more damaging to our brothers and sisters because they feel even more grief and anxiety. We have so much work to do to get out of the way of others and also within our own tradition to become the very essence of what Jesus claims in the world, radical love for one another. So let us proceed. Let us give up our holiday season for those who might follow other Christian traditions. Let us give in to the idea that within our own tradition we have intra-work to do, because if Christianity is real and if Jesus is the message of peace to the world that we claim him to be, then our best course of action is to offer the most surprising gift to those around us, radical love and respect for their own traditions and radical discernment for ourselves as to how to help those in our society who feel most marginalized and dispossessed from their identity because that ultimately is what the Christmas season is about. Love of others in a way that is more platinum than gold. May it be so. Amen, amen, amen. Let's now stand and join together on page 2089 in your Faith We Sing hymnal, Wild and Lone, the Prophet's Voice.